welcome to the discussion for me with your hosts, Brandy and Christian. If you're looking for a podcast where sisterhood is embodied, you are home. Listen, each week we will open the floor and have raw conversations about relevant and unaddressed topics plaguing our communities. You ready, B? Yes, let's get it. Welcome back to our financial series. We hope that you are enjoying the episodes, but more importantly, grabbing some great takeaways for you and your sister friends. Today we have Emmy Zamules as our guest. And let me tell you, her bio is impressive, yet she has a heart for serving and helping others. She started her career as a financial analyst at a large accounting firm, working in a corporate environment whose primary goal was to maximize profits, led her to realize that her passion lies in assisting others improve their station in life. She left the corporate world and entered law school with the goal of becoming a public interest attorney in the area of family law. After getting her law degree, she worked at a prominent public interest family law firm and eventually landed at the Child Support Services Department, CSSD, in the County of Los Angeles in 1997. While happily working as an attorney in the county, Ms. Amulez was assigned to create a new division and become its division chief. This new assignment led Ms. Zamules into the path of management and leadership, one that was unexpected and unfamiliar. Wanting to learn more, Ms. Zamules embarked on getting her master's degree in public administration, which she obtained in 2014. She then proceeded to develop a leadership development program, which assisted many of her colleagues to approve upon their leadership and management skills. She left CSSD and started working for the chief executive office in 2020, where she currently is working as the manager over the strategic integrative branch. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome. We (laughs) We are so honored to have you before our listeners. I know many of our listeners are looking to maximize their financial wellness. In your opinion, what do you feel is the impact of poorly managed finances? Well, hello, hello everyone. And thank you very much for inviting me to uh, talk about finances. You know, the impact of poorly managed finances is really stress and it will, if you don't manage your finances well, it will just add stress to your life and you don't want to do that. And so because, you know, you and I have had different conversations about finances over the years, what motivates you to, I would say, avoid lifestyle creep? And for our our listening audience, this is a term that I came across um, through social media where lifestyle creep is essentially when Every time your your salary increases or every time you obtain like a lump sum of money, then your lifestyle increases. And it's something that just naturally happens. And unfortunately, it's another red flag of poorly managed finances, meaning 
you're not telling your money what to do. And so in your personal, I would say, um, perspective, how do you avoid that? You know, let me go back, interestingly enough, when I was a little kid, well, a little kid, when I was 16 years of age, when I wanted to get a job, my dad told me, before you get a job, you have to open up a savings account. So I opened up a savings account, got a job, and then my dad said, when you get your paycheck, you need to put 50% of your paycheck into this savings account. And then he also told me, I need to see it. Because of course, I guess a 16 year old, he didn't trust <laughs> to be putting right. 50% of the paycheck. All right. So that actually started me saving in the very beginning. Wow. And so, and then I did that. And then every time I got a job after college, I started putting in, in my retirement fund, I started saving even before I had a discretionary income left, right? So then how do I avoid my life, the lifestyle creep that uh, Christian talked about? Is every time I had like an increase in pay, I put that percentage to my retirement fund because I already know that I can afford the um, expense to pay for my expenses for the money that I already have. So if I had an increase in my income, then I just go ahead and save that up. So every time, let's say, um, you know, there's a 5% increase in my, um, in my pay, I just put that 5% into my retirement fund. And that really is how you avoid the lifestyle creep because, you know, you don't, you don't increase your expenses because your um, income increases. You just need to um, increase your savings. That's such a great point because I know a lot of people, probably their tendency is to spend more since they have an increase in, you know, income. So the fact that you said to save it is so important. Um, and definitely you will actually see the benefits of that increase in your income versus spending it. Yeah. And I think um, what really hampers a lot of people is not saving for their retirement at the very beginning and as early as they can. Um, I had attorneys, attorney friends that didn't even put in in any of their retirement. And I'm really surprised about that because um, especially working for LA County, they match your retirement up to 4%. If you, if you don't, at least 4% of um, money into your retirement account, you're basically losing out on free money, free 4% that the county can put and match you. And so I was really surprised that they didn't even do that. And then they would say, well, you know, I have these expenses and I have a family and all of that. But if you create the, if you create your expenses monthly, like a budget, then you would know what really needs to be you would know what you really need to actually spend on. And that's also one of the things that no one really does is create a budget. And, um, and again, I had to thank my dad about that because here's what my dad did when we were young. And, um, and I would you know advise parents to do this from their kids. So what my dad did is he had us help him pay the monthly bills, like each of his poor kids. So when it was my turn, yeah. And it was back then. We didn't have any online or anything. I was the one that was writing the checks. So I was the one that was writing it for the Department of Water for our water bill. 
I was the one that was writing for the electricity. And then I was, I wrote out the monthly mortgage that he had. And then I knew how much he made and I knew how much expenses he had. So it was, it was in that, like teaching me, okay, this is, you know, this is how much you make. This is how much you need to spend. I mean, you need to spend monthly. And then it kind of got me thinking about a budget, like, oh, okay, you know, what kind of budget do I need to do? So that, that in of itself too, as well as having a savings account. I mean, my dad really put us into thinking about how to really um, manage your finances. And then what I realized also is not a lot of us get that education when we are young. And then, you know, when we get your first job, that's when I remembered when I got my first job out of college and I had all these friends they were buying their Mercedes Benz. They were buying their, you know, BMWs. And I was still in my little Nissan Sentra. But then, <laughs> you know, and then the funniest thing is I had a friend of mine and still, she, you know, 10 years, 10 years from when we graduated from college. And then I told her, hey, I'm going to retire early. And she's like, you're doing what? I said, I'm retiring early. And then she's like, I haven't even saved up my retirement. And then like, yeah, well, there you go. And then, so when we started talking, she really was surprised that I can even retire early. <laughs> and then, then more so, she was really sad in the fact that she didn't do what I did when we first, um, you know, when we first graduated because her BMW is now, you know, not working. And she spent, let me just tell you a little, because she and I are really good friends. She, her, um, my car, my Nissan Sentra was bought to me by my dad when we graduated. That was my dad's gift to all of his kids is a new car. And so I didn't have a car payment. I only had my insurance. She spent $543 a month on her BMW. And, um, but I spent that much money. I put it in my investment. Wow. So, so she spent all that money and with a car payment, and then I was putting the same into retirement. So she kind of, kind of, you know, when we start talking about financing and stuff, she kind of figured out that what she did was, um, was not, you know, the right thing, but good thing though, that she started. And here's the thing too, even though you haven't started in the very beginning, you still can start now, Right. you know? And so like, don't, you know, I told her, well, okay, fine. 10 years, you didn't invest in anything. So now you can't. So mm -hmm. even Be though you didn't. Moving, more, moving forward. Exactly. And that's really one of the points of our podcast is, you know, to share information to enrich our community. Because we said, you were fortunate enough to, to have, you know, a father who sat down with you and kind of instilled those values at a very young age before a lot of our audience, including myself, you know, I've kind of just been winging it along the way, trying to pick up nuggets, right? Mm -hmm. um, and then as I speak with, you know, some of my colleagues and people like yourself, it's like, oh, okay, you know, maybe I should try this, or maybe I should try that. But I think it's important for everyone to really be open to, you know, receiving information, because that's how you learn. And that's how you grow. Because I'll, I'll be honest, and I think you'll probably remember this conversation. I was so scared about um, like investing. Like I already had my, my 401k and my 457, but it was just like in the stable fund, right? Because I was like, uh -huh. I don't know what to do after that. 
Like, <laughs> I know to put in the little 4%, but I don't know what to invest in. Like, after, and I remember asking you, like, how do you know? And I believe your response was, well, you don't have to know everything. Like, you don't, you don't have to know everything, you know? You can get a financial advisor. And although it was a simple answer, I never thought about that. Like, <laughs> I never thought about know, it before you said it. I, you know, here's the thing about hiring a financial advisor. And you can do it on your own. But do you have the time to fully commit to learning everything about financing? And not all of us have the time to do that. So why not hire somebody that does it on a full-time basis? And so my husband and I did it in the very beginning. And let me tell you, for those of you that are married, I mean, how many, and of course, being a family attorney, I mean, half of the time people get divorces because they had issues with finances. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they, they did not meet eye to eye with regards to financing. So hiring a financial advisor is that third person that really can talk to the couple and figuring out what you need to do in order to, you know, to have a good financing uh, future. Let me tell you, my husband and I were totally different. I was a saver, but my husband was a spender. So for him to actually, it would be easier, it was easier actually, to the financial advisor to tell him, hey, if your goal is to retire early, then you need to do this. Instead of me telling him to do that, because as you know, sometimes couples, it might not be, it, that is a sticky thing with regards to telling somebody what to do. And you never, mm -hmm. you never can tell anybody what to do anyway. But so a financial planner telling my husband, if you want to retire early, this is what you need to do. It was easier for him to hear it from someone else other than, you know, the nagging wife, as you, is sometimes it happens. <laughs> and so we've had the same financial planner actually for 25 years. And, um, it, and then um, he's now a friend of ours. So he's, um, and then we meet with him every year. We continuously look at, you know, where we're going. And to be honest with you, when we told the financial advisor, hey, we want to retire at this age, and then he gave us like, okay, if you want to retire at the age that you want to retire, it's going to take you this much money. And we looked at it. We're like, no way. There's no way we can get how and we hell we're going to, you know, save that much money. You surpassed that amount. So, and it's because I think, you know, we had a financial advisor. So I always say, get a financial advisor. And the only way not to have one is if you can fully commit to learning and educating yourself about finances. But none of us, I mean, unless you are a financial advisor and that's what you do for a living, you know, none of us know, um, none of us know enough of it to, to fully know what to do. Yeah, I totally agree. My, actually, the, the way that I got into getting a financial advisor was from my dad. Um, he ended up hiring one. And I have the exact same financial advisor because, again, she became family and I trust her. Um, and like you said, I don't have the, the time to sit and get all of the information in order to manage it on my own. And so it's always great. And like you said, that extra, it's almost like the financial counselor <laughs> because they help you to um, meet the goals that you might think are impossible to reach 
are that mm-hmm. you don't have the means to do or you're like oh I want to do this but oh I can't do it but then you tell them and they're like no let's make a plan let's make it happen and so mm-hmm. they you know they help you to encourage you so I, I definitely definitely understand that um as far as for our and so you guys started talking about like your 401ks and investing do you have any guidelines or any um advice to give our audience as far as like how much they should be investing um in their 401ks and like like you said your company matched up to four percent so what happens after four percent do you suggest that they you know would you advise them to continue to match put into their 401k or should they open a different type of investment um what are your takes on that um, well, when I started, um, I put 5% in each, um, I, we had a 401k and we had a 457. So, uh, so I was investing 10% in my retirement fund and each time, and each one of those, the, the county paid 4%. So 4% to the 401k, 4% to the 457. So that's 8% free money right there. So I always just want to make sure that I, you know, get the maximum benefit for any matching. So if your company matches, you should at least um, put in as much so that you can maximize the matching of your company. And then um, I think, you know, for anybody that's starting, you should just start to, to maximize the matching. And then after that, increase it along the way. So what I did was I started with 5% in 401k. Then every time I had um, increased, then I add a 1% or 2%. And um, I ended up uh, reaching 20% for my retirement, 401k and 457. And then, but but aside from that though, I also started a Roth IRA. Mm -hmm. Um, And then my husband started his own, he was self-employed. So he started the SEP IRA, which is a self-employment IRA. So not only did we have the 401k 457 at my job, we also had our own IRAs. Um, and then my financial advisor said, you know, you need to diversify. Mm. And I'm like, whoa, what's that? <laughs> <laughs> and then they, you know, he said, you know, your, your money, you need to diversify your, your portfolio. You just can't have it, you know, the IRAs and the portfolio and all of that. So then what happened the way, so my husband wanted to get into the stock market. So I'm like, okay. And then he so said, what about real estate? And I ended up loving real estate. I did not like it at first. I was really hesitant. Um, but the thing about that also is if you want to do something outside of your comfort zone, you get mm-hmm. a mentor that is already doing what you want to do. Mm-hmm. So there is this guy at work. He had a real estate portfolio. And then he told me that he was going to sell three of his real estate properties that was going to net a million dollars. And then once he sold those properties, he was going to retire. And, and, he, and then once I started talking to him, he started telling me how he did it. And then he pushed me to do exactly what he did. And so I always tell people, if you want to like do something and you don't know how to do it, get somebody that's already doing it. So, Mm -hmm. 
And I, when he told me that he sold three properties and he net a million dollars, I'm like, no way, that can't happen. And I'm here to tell you that um, I followed his advice. 2016, I um, bought three properties. I sold them and I netted a million dollars. Well, I feel like I should ring the bell or something. I, I need a tambourine, an alarm, or something. Right. <laughs> yeah, it was it was it was crazy, crazy, crazy. And then when my husband and I looked at it, we're like, "Wow!" So each of the properties that um, we sold, um, the net proceeds were three hundred and fifty thousand above three hundred and fifty thousand for each of the properties. So when we did our taxes, we we're like, whoa, we did net almost uh, above a million dollars for those three properties alone. So five years ago, when I was talking to my mentor and he was telling me that he was going to sell three properties and he was going to net a million dollars, I said, that's crazy. How do you do that? And I never thought I could do it. Um, but it that's that's you know, what happens when you get a mentor that already knows, because he guided me each step of the way. Mm -hmm. um, and one of the things, and let me just say a little bit of what he said is, you know, when you buy a property, right, you say, let's say the property is 100,000. People have that mindset that you're buying a 400,000 property. Oh my God, right? But really what he told me is, yeah, you know, you're not putting any money, you're not putting $400,000 of your money. What you did is a 20% of the down payment. So really, if you think about it, that is really all that you're doing. So if you have a 400,000 property, you're only, you're only putting in 80. And that's really the only thing that you are, um, you know, you're investing, not necessarily the 400. And I think when you get that mindset started, then you're like, yeah, okay, you know what? This, it's not 400,000 that I'm actually, you know, buying into this. It's the, this only the 20%. And then he always said, if you do your homework with real estate, you're not ever going to lose any money. So you may not gain, but you will never lose. So once again, if you get that mindset, and I was like, huh. And then the other mindset, now we're talking about real estate. Uh, the thing about real estate investments is if you're doing it for investments, you don't look at a house to say, oh, I'm not, I'm not going to buy this house because I wouldn't live here. <laughs> You know, it's not my dream home. Well, you're not buying your dream home. You're buying an investment home. Right. So, um, and so people, yeah. once you get that mindset, then you're like, hey, someone, someone, someone can see this home as their dream home. And that's how, why you buy it for. And then you do whatever to it, you flip it or whatever else. And then you sell it. It's not you buying the home for yourself. It's you buying the home for someone else. So right. that's the other thing about real estate that I learned from my mentor. Now, speaking of mindsets, because I think this is something that we've discussed also, um, how do you, I mean, you talked about taking kind of calculated risk, you know, um, gleaning from your mentor and gaining information, getting that support that you need along the way. But I'm sure that there were people that were telling you that you were crazy. Like I'm sure somewhere in there, you shared your journey and, you know, it probably wasn't received, you know, as, as positively as now that you've met, you know, some nice change. 
Um, <laughs> how do you how do you deal with um, you know the naysayers and not living in fear and just going forward? Okay, with the naysayers, I don't tell them what I'm doing. Uh, <laughs> so what I do is I tell them when I already done it um, because I know that they're gonna, you know, funny thing is when we bought our home in Sedona, Arizona, it, you know, I didn't, we didn't tell anybody because we knew we were gonna get this, oh, why did you buy there? You know, you're not even gonna rent it out and um, you're, you're not gonna live there full time. I mean, that's just so crazy. So we didn't tell anybody. And then when we bought our Airbnb on, in Moab, Utah, we didn't tell anybody either because guess what? They're, I know what they're going to say. My God, it's in Utah. It's so far away. And, you know, you're doing an Airbnb and everybody and everybody, everybody's going to trash it. And you don't know you're not there. And so we didn't tell anybody until we bought it. And then, you know, we just told people. And if they say whatever they need to say, and like, you know what? That's not happening. I mean, I get this, they're gonna trash your home, you know, cause it's an Airbnb. We've had it for five years and no one's ever trashed it. And, um, and really, and then they said, oh, you know, you're just gonna, you're not gonna be able to rent it out and all of that stuff. We have not had to pay anything with our property in, in, in Moab, Utah. It pays for itself and then gives us a cash flow every month. So with regards to the uh, naysayers and living in fear, I think the way to combat that is one, don't, I mean, if you know somebody's going to be negative about it, don't talk to them about it. Listen to, I mean, talk to people that are, have positive experiences. And then again, I think what it is, is you find that mentor that already does, that already has done it. I mean, um, with the Airbnb thing, I found someone that already was doing it told me how to do it, told me to make sure, you know, what needs and all of that. And it's been working out fine. And so I have one last question, which um, I'm not sure if you can share or not. I know you shared like some pending projects um, or some projects that you were involved in within the county. Can you share any, any information on that? Well, one of the things that um, I was working on, actually, uh, we've already implemented, is the children's savings account. And again, you know, I, I was really into that because of what my dad did when I was young. So what we're doing, what we are doing now with the LA Unified School District is we are going to be providing a, we're going to start every first grader, we're going to give them a $50 savings account. And they're going to be able to then take it out when they graduate at the age of 18. And our, the idea is they, you know, we get them started. We get them with the savings account. They see it. It's theirs. And then um, they can actually add to it. The parents can add to it. And it's just a way for them to really start thinking about finance, finances and really start thinking about um, being accountable to having a savings account and having and finances. So um, that, I mean, we finally got that going. And I think this year, because of the pandemic, it only started this year, but we, um, the, uh, every first grader in LA County Unified School District this year 
now has a $50 savings account. And in fact, oh. um, I'm actually also telling Ch Child Support Services Department, hey, why don't you also do this to your caseload, to your, um, to your kids in your caseload? Um, because child support, I mean, we're supposed to be providing child support to the kids, right? So this is another way of, of helping out the parents um, provide, you know, some kind of financial incentives to their kids. So we'll see, Christian, if, if I, um, you know, I've been advocating for child support to do the same thing. Right. So. Well, I just want to say thank you. Thank you. Thank you for taking time on your busy schedule to share with us today. Um, and also, you know, being transparent about your personal experience. I know oftentimes people don't really like to talk about money. Why? I don't know. Money, money is not a bad thing. You know, it's a great tool to, to use to create the life that you want, right? So I just yeah. want to say thank you for really um, taking the time to just share with us, dropping those nuggets, um, and also sharing your personal experiences, but also on a personal note, you know, for really helping change my mindset. Because when you and I first met, it was more or less geared towards management and leadership. And somewhere along the way, we just started talking about a lot of random things, <laughs> a lot of random things. And I actually listen, believe it or not, I do listen. When you, when you send me emails and you say different things, I actually listen. And I'm like, okay, I need to look up what she said about this. Um, you know, and I, I try to really implement it and to not take um, the information that you share for granted, because I know that there are so many people who are not afforded that luxury of having someone who's willing to share with them. So again, just thank you for your time. Um, obviously, any projects that you have, we'll put it down in the description box, especially um, this program about the LAUSD so that our listeners can have access to that information and then they'll have, you know, be able to inquire further if needed. Thank you. And thank you for inviting me. This is really fun. I appreciate it. No problem. Thank you. To our listeners, again, um, thank you so much for joining in today. We will continue our series on all things financial, including one of the things that she mentioned, which is budgeting. Yes, I will be talking about budgeting and becoming debt-free. I'll share my journey, so please continue to join in. Thank you for listening to It's the Discussion from me. Hopefully you are leaving here seen and enlightened. If so, please share, like, and invite others to this safe place. Until next time.